While the eggs of a canary hatch in 14 days, the eggs of a barnyard chicken will hatch in 21 days. The egg of ducks and geese in 28 days, and the eggs of a mallard, 35 days. The eggs of the parrot and the ostrich, 42 days. And so there you see the seven-day cycle in creation. Welcome, welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher. We're on the air to bring you the message today from the pulpit of our church, wherever you are, and I trust that God will speak to you today. We're continuing on the fourth commandment, the Lord's Day, the Sabbath day is a day to keep. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And we know that John the Apostle was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and there is a day to keep in the New Testament and for God's people to this day. And yet it is a tragedy that in our society, that even among evangelical people, church-going people, there is a laxity toward keeping God's day. Many do not attend evening services anymore. Many do not keep all of God's day. They feel that having gone to church once, that's uh, their full duty. And church is not just a duty, it is a privilege. And it is the place where every Christian wants to be when the Lord is with his people. And so uh, you need to trust the Lord. You need to just obey God in this matter. We turn to Romans chapter 1 again, and we're looking still at verse chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness uh, and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And here's a question for you. What is our response to any religion without God, the God of the Bible? What do we think of those religions that do not reference the God of the Bible? Well, we know that theology proper is the starting point of our system of doctrine and practice. There's nowhere else to begin if we begin with uh, the world around us, if we begin with man, uh, we're going to be totally off because man is sinful, the world around us is under the curse, and uh, only God himself is the starting point. And so what do we do with idolatrous religions, those that do not worship God in truth and have gods of their own imagination? What do we do with cults, those that have denied the Trinity, denied the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, have denied many times the eternity of God, or that God is uh, in creation, a pantheism, that he's in the flowers, the trees, all of his creation. All of those are false ideas of God, and therefore, what are we going to do with them? Anything that redefines the nature of God is to create the God of man's imagination. And that is to become vain in our own imaginations. That's how the apostle puts it, Romans 1 verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And so that's our answer. 
these things are wrong. We must start with God and our knowledge of him as the Bible reveals him in truth. What should we think about a social gospel that emphasizes our relationship to man over our relationship to God? That is, emphasizing the needs of man in his body and in his work and in his society. What about missionary efforts and ministries to feed the poor without preaching the gospel to them? Well, whatever they are, we can't call them gospel ministries. Whatever they are and what good they do, and we don't deny the good and the relief of of, of many uh, issues, yet we cannot call them Christian or God-sent ministries because they don't even refer to God at all. And so this is just merely humanism at work. What should we think about a presentation of the gospel that is all about loving and imitating Jesus, but does not reference the person and character of God the Father? And here's my question. Could such be guilty of Jesusology? That means making much of Jesus, referring to Jesus' name, but never to God the Father, never to the character of God. And therefore, the understanding of who Jesus is is not understood, not there, because there's no reference to God, the God of the Bible. Do you see the dangers here? Do you see where many go wrong? Because they don't make God their starting point. And we don't even know what sin is if we don't start with God. Therefore, how can we know what the gospel is? Next question. What do these Bible texts teach us about the theocentricity of the gospel? That is, the God-centered nature of the gospel. That the gospel is designed to reconcile sinners to God. That the work and mission of Christ was to bring men to God. And if you go through the book of Romans, you'll find out that's what the gospel is. It's not just to help men in their trials of life, but it is to get men right with God. And that's the answer. And that is the great gospel work that we must be about. Stay tuned with us now as we move now to our other parts of the program. Well, as you may have guessed from our Bible reading today, we are back to this fourth commandment, to this keeping the Sabbath. I have a little bit of uh, trivia for you about uh, the seven-day cycle of creation. Did you know that the eggs of a potato bug, uh, more commonly known today in North America as the Colorado beetle, that those eggs hatch in seven days? While the eggs of a canary hatch in 14 days, the eggs of a barnyard chicken will hatch in 21 days. The egg of ducks and geese in 28 days, and the eggs of a mallard, 35 days. The eggs of the parrot and the ostrich, 42 days. 
And so there you see the seven-day cycle in creation, built right into it at the very beginning of life in an egg. Well, last week we ended on the lament of a dying man who had not kept Sundays. That stirs me to think upon what is a well-kept Sunday or Sabbath. We learn that God wants His people to call the Sabbath a delight. Now, what is one man's delight might be another man's burden. It might be the most boring thing in all the world. So we need to look at that. A happy day, of course, for the Christian is a holy day. And a holy day is a happy day because for the Christian, there can be no happiness if I'm not pursuing holiness. The other word that we discovered is in the book of Exodus 23, and it is the word that we would be refreshed. And I don't think anyone would want to not be refreshed. You'd want to waken up on a Monday morning and find that your Sunday was a day of refreshment. It did you good that you are more equipped and better suited for the tasks of the week, and above all, to walk with God. So it's a day of refreshment. Now, if you had asked Daniel, what is it for you to keep the Sabbath day? He would certainly tell you that though he was in exile in Babylon, that he opened his windows toward Jerusalem to worship. Now, that was a very difficult place to be keeping God's day because it was a heathen society, and there were great pressures. If you had asked David when he was in the wilderness, in those days when he was hunted by Saul and he was unable to go into the tabernacle to worship, you would have found, as he said in Psalm 84, Oh, how I love thy tabernacles, how amiable they are to me. And as the sparrow, as the sparrow lays her egg or finds her home, so the temple is the place of his heart. If you had asked the Lord Jesus, how did you keep that one day in seven? Well, let's look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, and you'll find the custom the habit of the Lord. And by the way, habits for a Christian can be good things. There can be very good habits for the child of God. I would like to think that for those who come regularly to church, that this has now become your habit. And you plan, and you get up on Sunday morning, and you time and dress, and you make your trip here, and it's after a number of times, it becomes your habit. Well, if you look in Luke chapter 4, 16, we find that our Lord Jesus, He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up. So that's His hometown. And as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So I think we can take from that that during His growing up years into manhood that He was there every Saturday. And they still kept Saturday as their Sabbath. And on this occasion, he stood up and to read. And I think that wasn't the first time. And in the synagogue, there was the reading and exposition of the Scriptures. That was the habit, the custom that our Lord Jesus did there. Now, no doubt, our Lord Jesus taught 
on the Sabbath. We know from the Gospels that he healed on the Sabbath. Some people had a problem with that. He also believed that if you have a beast or an animal that falls into a pit, it would be right to dig it out on the Sabbath. Don't leave it there to die because it's the, the Sabbath. Uh, you, you don't leave it until midnight and then uh, hope that you can rescue it. No, if the animal's distressed, you help it. The Lord would have refrained from long trips on a Sabbath, as was the custom of Jewry. There was a Sabbath day's journey and some discussion about how far that was. But certainly, he, he didn't engage in long trips on the Sabbath. He also walked in the harvest field for a walk, and he also even plucked some ears of corn and enjoyed the flavor and taste of them. I don't think it was a meal, but uh, he, he grabbed some of that corn, rubbed it in his hand, and put them in his mouth, and the disciples did likewise. For that, some people were not happy with him. But you will see that the Sabbath to the Lord was not a bondage. It was not a burden. Now, if you asked Paul the apostle, what would he have done on that one day in seven? Well, as I go to the book of Acts, I find him in the synagogues on Saturdays. Uh, don't jump to conclusions now. He went on Saturdays because it was an opportunity to preach to those gathered on Saturday as Jews who were interested in the Scriptures, and there was an opportunity to take the book and read it, and Paul the apostle went to the synagogues to tell them about Christ and the resurrection. Sooner or later, they threw him out. We don't want to hear this anymore. In Acts 16, he went to a river on a Sabbath where prayer was wont to be made by the women. And he joined them there because he had opportunity to preach. And Lydia was converted. And so Paul used the Saturdays as opportunities to preach. On Sundays, where would you have found Paul the apostle? Well, he said to the Christians at Corinth that they were to gather on the first day of the week and take up their collections or offerings. And so Paul met with Christians on the first day of the week. And the reason for that, of course, is that in the New Testament, that the keeping of one day of seven now is a resurrection meeting. It's very significant that Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples, the first three appearances were all on the first day of the week. He rose on the first day of the week, and he appeared to his disciples on the first day of the week. And we find, as we search the New Testament, that the early Christians from that first century met on the first day of the week. I think now of John the Apostle, and we read of him in Revelation chapter 1. What was he doing on the first day of the week? We're told there in Revelation 1.10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That, by the way, is a new term, the Lord's day. And if you study the Greek, and I'll not give you the terms, but you study the Greek, you'll find the Lord's Day. It's the same kind of statement as we talk about the Lord's Supper, the day that belongs to the Lord. This communion supper that we hold once a month, that's the supper that belongs to the Lord. And this day, the Lord's Day, is the day that Christians agree belongs to the Lord. It's His day. If you were to ask 
John Calvin, the reformer, if you went into the city of Geneva and asked, what do you do on this one day in seven, you would find that Geneva, that what was called the greatest school of Christ on earth, that they met on the first day of the week. Their churches were filled. Indeed, it was mandatory that everybody in the city go. And if you didn't show up, you were not only in trouble with the pastors, you were in trouble with the magistrates of the city, because it was the law that you go to public worship. If you were to ask the Puritans in England, 1600s, what do you do in this one day of seven? The law of the land says that everybody goes to public worship. That's why churches were filled in those days. That's why church was so important. That's why whenever they had Bibles chained in the public place in the, in the church building, it made an impact upon society because everybody went to church, and they went on the first day of the week. The same could be said for the uh, people on the Mayflower and the co colonists in New England. The law of the land then was on the first day of the week you go to church. In Scotland, after periods of revival, there were times when God's people went to church. And those who were before caught up in ungodly living were amazingly transformed to keep the first day of the week. John Patton, who was the Scottish missionary to the South Sea Islands, when he went to mission the cannibal people, he taught them to keep the first day of the week. And he preached three times every first day of the week. And a part of his missionary principles was that it is my duty as a Christian minister to teach the heathen, the ungodly, to keep one day for God. Now, they were in a totally different time zone. You couldn't match up and say what they were. The church time in Scotland was also the church time in, in the New Hebrides and the Southern Hemisphere. It wouldn't match. But they kept one day for God, and to them it was the first day of the week. Let's also now ask Mr. Spurgeon, that great preacher in London, England. Here's what he said, "'Money gained on Sabbath day is a loss, I dare to say. No blessing can come with that which comes to us on the devil's back by our willful disobedience of God's law. The loss of health by the neglect of rest, and the loss of soul by neglect of hearing the gospel, soon turn all seeming profit into real loss. There was a hymn writer, Mr. Palmer, I think it's Mr. Palmer, H.R. Palmer anyway, may have been a Mrs. Palmer, who wrote these wonderful words. A Sabbath well spent brings a week of content and strength for the toils of the morrow. But a Sabbath profaned, whatever may be gained, is a certain forerunner of sorrow. Robert Murray McShean, another Scottish preacher, he said, this is the reason we love the Lord's day. This is the reason we call the Sabbath a delight. A well-spent Sabbath, we feel, a day of heaven upon earth. And for this reason, we wish our Sabbaths to be wholly given to God. So, we're back to the question, what is a Sabbath well kept? 
or well spent. Can we answer that today? What does a Sabbath or a Sunday for a Christian look like? And how can I answer as I put my pillow on, uh, sorry, my head on the pillow on a Sunday night? This was a Sabbath well kept. How would that Sabbath have gone? Well, I have six things. Excuse me for not keeping to three, but they're short, straight to the point. Let's take a look at them. A Sabbath is well kept when I have freed myself from earthly toil. And we'll call that the manna principle. We read in that passage in Exodus 16 of how on the sixth day they gathered twice as much in preparation for the seventh day when no manna would be given. Now, notice it was God who was calling the shots. And he told them that they would get enough on Saturday. Oh, sorry, there Friday that would be, on the, the day before the Sabbath. They would get double amount on that day, and it wouldn't expire. It wouldn't stink. It wouldn't be eaten by the worms. It would stay fresh. And if they were to lay it up for the Sabbath day, and there's the manna principle, laying up for that one day in seven. And so in reality, for a Sunday to be well spent, your Saturday needs to be well spent. It's a day of preparation. Your Saturday then becomes a deadline, and it becomes a focus. I have things to do for my Sunday to free me up, to ensure that I can do the things that I want to do on God's day. And it might be that you like your best meal of the week on Sunday after church. That's a great British tradition, by the way. No harm in it. But it does require that if you're going to have a fine meal on a Sunday, that you're going to have to prepare and lay up, just as the Israelites did, lay up for the Sabbath and do those things that are needful. Shine the shoes, gas the car, cook the meal, prepare the vegetables, clean the house, so that you're ready to have the best Sunday possible because you've laid up for that Sunday. Now, all of these things, of course, we can do in six days. We keep one for the Lord. We cannot talk about a Sabbath well spent if we're taking up on that day with domestic and other duties because we haven't attended to them in the other six days. Now, there are many stories that arise out of this, and you may have heard the story of the hostess that was expecting the preacher for lunch. And uh, it was all arranged. The visiting preacher would preach in church and then come to you know, the, the church member's house for lunch afterwards. And she was uptight about this. The preacher's coming to our house for lunch. And she felt that to have everything ready the moment he came in through the door, she would have to stay home from church. And uh, when the minister arrived, uh, probably with her husband, and they sat down to the meal and they gave thanks, uh, he prayed. And the story goes that he prayed, Thank you, Lord, that I have had the privilege of feeding the people at church, but I'm sorry I haven't had the privilege of preaching and feeding my hostess, although now she wants to feed me. And that was his little message. It would have been far better to have half a lunch or a sandwich than to have her 
miss out in church. And the principle, simply lay up, prepare in advance. Misspent Sundays are usually or often the result of misspent weekdays. Shouldn't be the day when you have to cram and catch up, but rather with some diligence, a little bit of planning, it can be a day free to worship and walk with the Lord. So a, well, a day well spent is a day free from earthly toils, the manna principle. Secondly, a day well spent is when I have freed myself from earthly commerce. And I'll call this the Nehemiah principle. And if you know the story in Nehemiah chapter 13, how the Lord uh, uh, commanded uh, Nehemiah to be, he was uh, something of a magistrate in the city, and you had all these other people outside the walls of the city, and they were coming to sell their wares. They were wanting to buy and sell with the people in the city. But Nehemiah commanded that they shut the gates. Shut the gates until the Sabbath is over. And afterward, if they were still there, trade away. But it was to be a day free from commerce. Now, others have thought through these things, and I want to read to you the answer of the Shorter Catechism. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? Here's the answer. The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. And then one more, question number one, what is forbidden in the fourth commandment? What's the thing we should not do? The fourth commandment forbiddeth the omission or careless performance of the duties required and the profaning the day by idleness or doing that which is in itself sinful, or by unnecessary thoughts, words, works. Well, I hope you have learned something that God's day matters. And it certainly matters to God how his people walk with him and live for him. Now, these things are based not just on culture, they're not based on some preference of denominations, but they're based on creation. As you know, God rested on the seventh day, and that is really the foundation for keeping one day in seven holy unto God. We keep the first day of the week because it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And we know in the New Testament that they worshiped God on that first day. And it behoves us that we follow that pattern and that we keep this day holy unto God and it will be good for our bodies and our souls. That's the argument. That's the reason. It's not bondage. It's not to put men down or make life difficult. But it really is God's gift to encourage and be a means of ministry to God's people. May the Lord minister to your heart. If I can be of any personal help, make sure you get in touch. You've been listening to... This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale. 
located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word. Music